When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. It's a Champions League week and that means we have so much to talk about on this episode of the Gagan Pod. David Wiener with you, joined by John Aloisi and Michael Bridges. Let's get started. John Bridgie, great to see you again. Who is still buzzing after that morning of Champions League? I know I certainly am. Manchester City with the slender advantage. Lyon with the slender advantage. Bridgie finishing off some breakfast. So, Johnny, I'll come to you first. What a morning we just enjoyed. Yeah, I thought it was uh, it was an unbelievable game to watch because uh, tactically we saw what uh, Guardiola was trying to do in terms of uh, how he could actually hurt Real Madrid, and they did. I thought they were were brilliant. Look, there were certain parts of that game that Real Madrid were, were in control, especially when they scored their goal to go one nil up. They ended up um, you, you thought it was going to be two three, but um, and then Man City got into it, and then they had that two minute spell where they got their two goals. But uh, what a performance! What a win because that actually sets them up. You think that they now should get through this uh, this tie. The only thing that was better than the performance of Manchester City this morning was that scrambled egg <laughs> on toast. Hey, I've just found a new a new recipe here, Dave. Was that a bit chilly? Did you uh, have chilli on there? Chilli flakes inside okay. the scrambled egg. And wow. Nice. That's going to hurt you come later this afternoon. Correct, but it was a winner right there, right now. <laughs> You've only got 45 minutes. Let's get, let's get, let's get through. Hey, as John said, a fascinating game, a game of the highest standard in terms of the head-to-head contest. Um, what did you make of it and what did you make of, of the theatre of, of Manchester City coming from behind as well? I just thought the the game for the neutrals was unbelievable. Two heavyweights going blow for blow. Like you say, we, we discussed it on the show. There was a tactical manager in Pep Guardiola and a man in Zidane that is learning that trade. But what he's had to deal with off the field with this club keep the players happy, you know, there's a lot of egos at big clubs like that. Just get the players going out and playing. And I think Zidane has handled that magnificently. He's one thing. So to see them go head-to-head today, there was chances at both ends. You know, the home team go ahead. We've seen goals. We saw Ramos, the captain, get a red card. The game had everything. And I think from a from myself, just admiring the game and watching it for what it was. And I think we're just, we were just blessed to see two teams put on a performance because it could have been a complete stalemate. They didn't do that. And um, we saw the tactical mm. nous of Pep in the game, as John explained there. And they got a result. And for me, that is the biggest result City have had in their club's history. What about the result for Pep? Uh, I know he straight batted it straight after the game and said, it's because I won. You know, if I lost, you guys wouldn't... What he didn't say, but you can read into it, he was saying you guys would have been taking a very different tune. If you want to know what John and Michael are referring... Michael? I don't think I've ever called you Michael. The only time I hear that (laughs) word is when I know I'm getting wrong with my wife. Do not do that. She says Michael, and I go, oh, shit, what's happened? (laughs) What did I do? I don't know where that went, but what John and Bridgie are talking about on the Optusport app, the Optusport social channels, you can see visually the analysis of what Pep Guardiola did, setting up with Gabriel Zizou's a little bit further on the left in the first half. Um, Pep might have straight batted it. But it is a big achievement and a big outcome for him today. Yeah, look, he's straight batted it because he's been copying a lot of criticism, um, especially after Thomas Muller's uh, comments about uh, that Pep, actually in those big games, he analyses the opposition too much. And then then the players feel that they're, they're feeling a little bit of pressure, puts a bit too much pressure on them. But um, look, how can you actually... And, and look, Thomas Muller had his reasons to say it, but Pep Guardiola with... Barcelona, he's the famous one of bringing that false nine in, and he did it very similar today with uh, De Bruyne and uh, uh, Silva, because I thought uh, that uh, Bernardo Silva and De Bruyne in the first half, they were actually dropping into those areas, just in between the midfield and the defence, and, and he knew that Varane or Sergio Ramos would follow him in, and as soon as they follow in, that's when Jesus would actually make a forward run in behind the centre-backs, or Mahrez, and uh, Mahrez did brilliantly, and he had a couple of really good chances, and, uh, you know, though unfortunate that Courtois made uh, a, a couple of important saves and good saves, but uh, Pep Guardiola, we know that he's a genius, 
We know that uh, what he can do uh, um, with his teams. And, uh, you know, yes, he's not in the title race this season, but that also has to do with a lot of the injuries that he actually has had to cope with. A lot of off-field stuff now with the UEFA ban hanging over their head. And, um, and he's been able to cope with that pretty well. Speaking of, you spoke before, Bridgie, about the Zidane's way he's played with and managed the players. But today he left out Bernardinho, he left out Sterling, he left out Aguero. That takes a lot of cojones and a lot of backing in your plan. Tell me a little bit more about just the way that Pep approached this and the fallout now from it actually working. Well, it's known your players. He, he knew that he had Aguero on the, on the, on the um, bench. If he's going to play Aguero in the position that he had um, Jesus today, running up and down that left side, filling in, that wasn't going to work. So he knew his players, he understood it. Sterling, carrying an injury for a few weeks. Hamstring, are you really going to jeopardise that for the rest of your season? No, he knew he could get so many minutes out of him if you know City needed him, and they did. So again, that comes back to you can be a tactical genius, you can be this, you can be that. If you don't understand what your players are about, you don't understand the, the makeup of them, the DNA, and what roles and responsibilities you can give them, that you know you might as well not even bother. He understood that, and that's why, again, it's another tick for, for him knowing his players. He knows his players, <clears throat> but the biggest thing with that is actually convincing them and selling them to buy in. To, to buy in, to yeah. do it, because Jesus... He's never done that before and never had to track back Kakaval all the way back as a virtually a left wing back in the first half. He actually ended up being uh, at one stage behind his own fullback. Yeah. So he ended up being that um, he had to convince Jesus, look, this is going to work. And it's not only him, it's the rest of the team. And it did work. So if they didn't believe in him already, which I'm sure that they did, they're going to believe him even more now. Kevin De Bruyne. 17 assists for the season, a goal and an assist today for the first time in a Champions League game, uh, a penalty to end Manchester City's penalty curse. Uh, I'm not sure there's much more to say about this guy, but I think today he showed that on a field where it was a galaxy of stars, he might even just be on that echelon above. There is one more thing we can say, Dave. He showed true leadership and courage to step up and take that penalty for the team when they need him. Like you say, they've had the... The um, penalty misses previously. John made a great comment on the show this morning. Courtois, the goalkeeper, will have seen him take many of penalties for Belgium. So he's got that in the back of his mind. He's thinking of all the other penalties that Man City have missed. There was talk Edison was going to be the penalty taker because goalkeepers really rate themselves as (laughs) as penalty takers. Please. And he stepped up with the armband, with all the pressure, away from home, and what did he do? He slotted it. He sent the goalkeeper the wrong way. He didn't panic. He looked so calm and relaxed, even with his red, blushy cheeks, because he's done so much running. And it's the, not easy to take a penalty oh. in front of 80,000 people. The, the, there's pressure there. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, look, I knew it. We talked about this on this morning in the show. All you listeners, yes, John Aloisi, have your moment once again. What did you do? <laughs> Honestly, I, I got in there before you. Dave, I'm walking off. I'm embarrassed. <laughs> I didn't lead you. Poor, Rich leads you in every one of those shows, just fishing in to get you in there. But you just walked straight into that one. Yeah, I know. I thought that was it was too good to miss, Bridget. An opportunity. Well taken. Speaking of pressure on the biggest stages, um, we spoke about it on the show as well, Sergio Ramos. And I asked you a trivia question. How many red cards has he got in his career? Well, I think one of you said 10, one of you said 21. 26 in his career, That the joint highest in the UEFA Champions League. I think the theatre of Ramos is just so interesting, especially right now. Real Madrid as well, where where they are as as a club. He's got more red cards than Bridgie scored goals. That's incredible. <laughs> Hang on a minute. Let me get in my Wikipedia now and just show you how many bloody goals, eh? No, but... It's going to be close. <laughs> Sergio Ramos, who can actually question what he's achieved in his career? But that is some stat. 26 red cards. It, look, he's a great leader. He's, uh, he's someone that actually is a serial winner. But he does rub up people the wrong way. And um, and uh, there would be not only Man City supporters cheering that tonight, there'll be Liverpool supporters, there'll be Barcelona supporters all cheering that Sergio Ramos got sent off. I think Mo Salah was doing a dance around his living room <laughs> when he saw that because that was, that was justification for what should have happened earlier in, well, in the last Champions League final. But I've got to go back to the red card situation. I think there's only one man that is going to probably match Ramos in red card situations. And that's Neymar. 
because there's always a carnival every year. <laughs> there's always his sister's birthday and there's always his birthday and he always seems to be suspended around about the same time. So I'm telling you, Dave, that could be match by name. Three a year for the next couple of years and he'll, he'll get there very deliberately. Um, consequences. So no Ramos for the return leg. We know what a talisman he is for them in all facets of the game. Um there's El Clasico on Monday. We're going to touch on that later on in the podcast. So Zizou, he still has matches to get this season back on track. But the consequences, John, of being 2-1 down now for this tie for Real Madrid and for Zizou. Look, if Zizou loses against Barcelona on early Monday morning and then he doesn't get through this tie, which it looks very unlikely they're going to get through, it could there could be consequences because then, then they're out of the Copa del Rey they're going to virtually be out of a league title race because Barcelona will start to to get a gap then. And it's against and in a league that no one's really performed well. So, look, I I love Zidane. I love what he's been able to do at such a big club and a pressure uh, cooking club in terms of that you know one result then there's there's uh, there's crisis and um, one bad result that is. Well, this is two results they've lost. Yes. Barca could be three, and then the City could be four. So then it's going to be difficult for him to turn the season around. But um, let's just wait and see. Football throws up many a surprises and he could actually come up winning against Barcelona. He could go and win it this year. Yeah, that's right. He could go and win the Champions League. So you just don't know. Yeah. What do you think, Bridgie? Is Advantage City? Without a shadow of a doubt. Two, Two away goals, the way they came back and suffocated Real late on because after Madrid scored, I thought, me and John looked at each other and went, there's only one winner here. The momentum was incredible. Sterling came on, changed the game, and give the um, give City the momentum back. And then the icing on the cake for City was Ramos getting the red card. Going to be without him. The only negative on tonight's performance for City is Laporte getting injured. Yeah, that's a huge loss because we saw when Finandinho came on alongside Otamendi. Otamendi is a far better player with Laporte. The balance. Finandinho doesn't give him the pace. Otamendi doesn't have the pace. And the two of them, the goal that came from Isco, you saw Fernandinho yeah. get sucked out of his position. Otamendi gave the ball away and was sucked out of position. That is a massive bonus for Madrid, but not good for City. So how they handle that is going to be very interesting. And surely the City support is going to come out in support. I know they're upset with UEFA, but you can't think it's going to be an empty stadium. You're playing against Real Madrid in the round of 16. You're up 2-1. Surely it's going to be a full house. Because if it's not, they could play a little bit into Real Madrid's hands. If it's not, it's embarrassing. It's you, embarrassing for the group city. I'll tell you what, uh, Champions League anthem will be interesting because I'll probably boo that in protest to UEFA. But um, last question on this, just just to sum up the Guardiola stuff. I just want to ask John, I mean, you followed his career really closely through all the La Liga into Bayern Munich into here. How big a result is this for him tonight? Your last result's always the most important result, and that's the way he would look at it. Because um, look, he's won Champions League, he's won league titles, he he won the treble at uh, Bayern Munich and at uh, Barcelona. So yes, he didn't win. He hasn't won the Champions League for a while. So there's pressure on him to win the Champions League. So if he wins this uh, tie and this game here, but goes out in the next round, then no one will be talking about this uh, this tie. So he needs to go on and win it if they get through. And um, but look, who can question what he's done in his career so far? He's he's unbelievably tactically. He's such a a, an, a good uh, salesman in terms of the way he actually acts in in about talking about football. Yeah. He just loves football. You can just see he loves it, and and he loves the way his teams play. And what I admire about him, correct us if I'm wrong here, John. He's happy to show how he plays his football. He, he always comes up with new rotations, new systems, new styles, whether that's against other teams or whether that's the way he believes. He's happy to share his ideas, Dave. So what he's got to then go and do is got to go and better himself, come up with new ideas. And in football, in the industry that I've worked in for 20-odd years, there's not something that coaches like to do. You don't like to share your ideas. There's, and outside of football, I was studying the All Blacks, and it was the mentality of the All Blacks, how they always go and share their data with international teams and show where they've been doing, what they've been doing. And when they got asked why, it's because, well, we've got to come up with something new. We give you the ideas, you follow our footsteps, we know how to defeat that and do it. It's a, it's a very interesting concept, and I, I really enjoyed studying that, and it's the same mindset as Pep has. If you want ideas, come and get them, I'll come up with something new. So it's, it's good for the game. Revolutionary, and has changed the game in every country he has worked in. Now, he'll be hoping the significance of this result is that perhaps he draws a Leon. 
in the next round. You never know. We're getting ahead of ourselves. But, of course, they go to Turin with a 1-0 lead against Juventus this morning. They were formidable. A lot of the French press that I was reading this morning on the fly said it was as good of a game as they've played all season, seventh in the league. I want to touch on Juventus, though, John. So disappointing for Maurizio Sarri today because of the performance. Yeah, the performance wasn't good. And I, and I actually think that... Um, you know, Leon, you have to give credit to Leon and Rudy Garcia, their coach. He, he's an experienced coach that has coached in Italy. He's coached a, a number of years in France. And he knows exactly um, what, he's, what he's doing in terms of tactically. And he got it right against Juventus. In the first half, they were outnumbering on the right side to, to actually start to have a go at Sandro the left full-back of uh, Juventus. And uh, and you could see there was it was 3v1 a lot of the times. And, and they saw that there was a weak link for Juventus because Sander was great going forward but defensively he was getting drawn out because he was trying to put pressure on the ball he wasn't allowing enough time for Bonucci to get across and cover or a midfielder to get across and they were getting in behind a lot on that side and then we saw a different side when they had to defend Brigitte in the second half and they were solid in the box Juventus didn't really create a clear opening they had a couple of half chances but they struggled to create clear openings and it, it was interesting watching the second half they were trying to keep that 1-0 lead not concede so the numbers that Leon got back they had a back five they had the midfield four dropping in and then the the one strike and it I, I turned to John and I'm saying this is like a training game when we do attack v defense can you try and score against us doesn't matter whether you're working on your attacking style of play or whether you're trying to sort your defense out and Leon put on a masterclass in how to keep out a team. And John mentioned there, Sandro likes to get forward on the left-hand side. They were, had Danilo on the right-hand side bombing on. And you've got Ronaldo, Dybala and um, Cuadrado. So they were the, that's why Leon went five at the back, to try and stop this. And they had a they had And a then they brought the Iguain on as well. Iguain, yeah. they could not do it. So think about where they are in their, their division, in Ligue 1. They're seventh. And you've got a team in Juve. Journalists, we were mentioning, saying Leon's best performance of a bunch of players for the whole season. Mm. This this was, and that's a massive, massive um, achievement to do that. Can they go and do that when they play you at home? It's going to be a completely mm. different concept because you've got to have the kahunas to go and back yourself to do it again. Mm. The crowd absolutely loved it. it. Looked like a fantastic atmosphere in France today. Now uh, we do get ahead of ourselves, and and sometimes uh, on the media side of it, we do get ahead of ourselves in terms of narratives and storylines. But in all reality, if Juventus Zero shots on target in France. If they don't go through in this in this tie, the pressure on Maurizio Sarri has to be at a suffocating level. And, and I only ask that as well because of the dominoes. There's a lot of coaches, whether it's Zizou, whether it's at what happens at Bayern, what happens with Solskjaer, what happens with Pochettino. Sarri is well and truly in that puzzle. Yeah, when you're talking about uh, big clubs, that always goes, it's the nature of coaching and being a manager of a big club. If you get knocked out early in the Champions League, which Juventus want to win because they haven't won it for a number of years, that's the reason why they spent all that money on Cristiano Ronaldo. Um, is Sari the man to actually bring him that success? Well, they think he is. Um, if they do get knocked out early against Lyon, that's a disaster. And uh, and there will be pressure on Sari and whether he will be able to see out the season I still think you'll see out the season because mm. they, they're doing well in the Serie A. Mm. They're a couple of points in front of Lazio and Inter are chasing as well. But um, long term, whether, whether he stays in, I'm not sure. I don't think they've played unbelievable football this season so mm. far. They've been able to win a lot of football games because of the quality they have. Yeah, well, he even said this week, I can't replicate what I did at Napoli because I don't have the same players. So you're going to have to be patient. You know, I have to adapt myself and I've got a three-year contract, but that's a, that's a luxury at that level, particularly if you don't come in and match the achievements before you. A three-year contract uh, at a club like that, it, it means nothing. It's all about results. Yeah. yeah, He's got a good payout for his next tobacco purchase, I think, sorry, if, if he doesn't go through. Hey, we had a great time yesterday, guys, as well, um, where we had Napoli against Barcelona and Chelsea Bayern Munich. Cast your minds back, because I feel like when you've watched so much football since then, it's almost hard to, to remember what happened yesterday. Can you give us the scores again, please, <laughs> Dave? Because I am absolutely worn out from all the football. Well, we'll start with Napoli-Barcelona, where it was that was a compelling game. They, they leave level. Oh, I thought that Napoli Barcelona was was brilliant, and and we're talking about uh, you know Leon and and Rudy Garcia putting on a masterclass, and we talk about Guardiola's tactical brilliance. Let's talk about Gattuso. Gattuso. Before this game, he had won six out of the last seven, so he's starting to get his Napoli team to play the football that he wants to play because he's he's coming after Ancelotti, and Ancelotti, as we know, is no slouch as a coach. So Gattuso's actually 
getting his team to play out from the back under enormous pressure against Barcelona. Because when he had five, uh, four inside his own penalty, yeah, I mean, five uh, including the goalkeeper. Yeah, and that, that was on a goal kick. And, you, yeah. and, and that takes a lot of guts. And uh-huh. that's bravery. And getting your players to be brave is another thing. So he might be able to do it. He might be saying, yeah, do it. But the, he's backed his players. And, his, and then his players are gone. yep, you know what? We'll embrace the, it. We'll the, give it a go. Yeah, the boss wants this. So and, and they did it from the start. And when they did that, the reason being is because if you're able to actually get Barcelona for pressing for long periods, it takes a lot of energy out of the players like Messi and other players in attacking positions. And then once you do beat that first press, you're virtually going at their back four. And then uh, you've got the likes of Mertens and Insignia that are quite quick and good 1v1, and that's what he was trying to do. They weren't panicking. They were playing out under pressure, and then their goal came from... Back to front. Back to front. Mm. And it was it was a great finish from Mertens. There was a little bit of luck involved because there was a ricochet in terms of in their build-up. But uh, Merton's finish was sensational. And then they, they, their other side came out, Bridgie, when they had to sit off and soak up pressure. The structure that he had defensively and Barcelona was struggled to break him down. And yet you know when you're trying to sell a product and you show your players that goal from back to front, that mm. is why we are doing this. But on the flip side, as John says, defensively, they got shape and they got numbers behind the ball. Every, every man behind the ball... And when I'm seeing Messi not have any space, he's getting nullified in central areas, and you see him drifting out really, really wide to pick the ball up with two men around him, or he's dropping nearly almost on the halfway line when, you know, Napoli have got players camped on the edge of their own penalty area. Gattuso must have been going, oh, this is where I want to see Messi. You know, he's got a... We know he potentially can beat 11 players (laughs) on his day, but that that was, again... because the distances were good, Bridget, that if he beats one, there's another one uh, automatically there. If he beats that second one, which he does, yeah, there's another one that's automatically there. The distances aren't big. So the, the, that's where it worked well. And he has drifted out wide. We know that he does that on occasions. And we know that he uh, picks up the ball a little bit deeper on occasions. they always tracked him and they always two there was always, up on him. There was always pressure on the yeah. ball. But I think where Barcelona lacks is that Jordi Alba makes a difference with Messi. Because Jordi Alba's got a timing of his forward run and being able to penetrate when Messi gets the ball, especially when he drifts out onto the right, he comes inside and he's able to pick Jordi Alba out. He didn't play. And Junior Firpio, I'm not sure about him. He hasn't really impressed since his um, move from Real Betis. And, and that that then they struggle with that attacking option. You know, we saw the goal come from Semedo on the right side, but the left side let them down yesterday. And it was Zielinski that robbed uh, Junior Firpo as well in the lead-up to that goal. The negative, I think, Barcelona have got to take out of this, towards the end of the game, Piquet went up for a header, and as he's landed, he's rolled his left ankle. Now, it looked nasty, so they've got the they've got the El Clasico coming up, but also the return fixture. When you, when you see, a, a, I think he's a colossal defender, yeah. At the back. That, it's his leadership a, as well at the back. It's a is huge, all, huge loss. So they will wrap him in cotton wool. Whether they force him for the El Clasico, who knows? But I think the Champions League is the one that they've got to go wrap him up, get him fit and try to make sure he's on the park. But they're really underdone. They've got a lot of injuries. Now, Arturo Vidal added to that with his crazy... Uh, discipline at the end of the game and even Busquets came out afterwards and said we have a small squad but those in charge know that now that's very obvious what he's saying there um isn't it so weird that Barcelona are top of La Liga Real Madrid are second just behind them yet we're having such critical critical discussions of both of them but they've both still got so much areas for improvement I think the biggest reason why we're discussing them so much is because they've been so inconsistent this season and, and it's the football that they've played look the, the Real Madrid were, was a period there that they looked very solid and they were playing good football even this morning I thought that they had a good game it wasn't that they were playing bad it's just that Manchester City were just that much better well not that much better but they were a bit better than them well the stats showed that they had a lot more chances yeah City. and they deserved the win and then you look at Barcelona. Barcelona have only really played well at home. They haven't played well away from home. And even at home, they're struggling to really open up teams like they have in the past. They still concede too many chances against them. You know, they sacked Valverde early on. Uh, Kike Sentien's come in. He's, he's, he's tried to change things a little bit, but it's still not clicking. Then you've got Suarez out. Then you've got uh, Sergio out. Dembele. Dembele. You've, you've got... The, so they, they went and signed Braithwaite, which is a strange signing because he was at uh, Leganes, a team fighting relegation, and Barcelona signing him. 
that's a little bit strange, but that's how l- tight their squad mm. is, and they need players. Hope he goes better than his uh, ceremonial unveiling at the Camp Nou, where he didn't do any of his juggles, successful trick shots of Italy. His singing, he da- was <laughs> Daryl son. He was honking <laughs> at the juggling. I was thinking of making a comeback when I saw him do two kippy ups. But he's lightning quick. He's lightning well, he, quick. he might have that in his jump, but I'm taking my touch over his. I'm telling you, <laughs> who wore it better, guys? Gattuso with his black, all black outfit. Simeone, it was almost like a clone. I just want to pick your brains as coaches. When you're going to get your... I won't go with your fashion advice, Bridgie. I was just about to say, please, we've got a man here. I know the view, the listeners can't see John, but he's still dressed immaculate. He's a fashion guru. You don't want to come to me on this one. Please, <laughs> speak to John. Very good. It's, it's like... <laughs> It's like we, when 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 my when my my wife might what, call me after the show. She goes, "How's the show?" I go, "How'd the show go?" She goes, "Oh, good. Yeah, John looked good. Uh, Thomas looked good. Um, Bridgie looked all right." Well, I'll um, tell you what, your wife's giving me a better compliment than my wife does because whenever whenever John's on, my wife texts me going, "Oh God," I was like, "What's the matter? You're sitting next to him again. You look terrible." So. If, Dave, I sympathise with you, pal. I think we have to we have to create a spin-off where we can just wear our chicken shirts and no socks. We and need to get people like Ian Dowie on the show if anybody <laughs> wants to go and check out him. He was a horror show. And the guy, Steve O'Grizovich from Coventry, the two ugliest men in football. I'll play with Oggy. Leave Oggy alone. Oh, he was honking. <laughs> Did you play in the game with Oggy when you played Wimbledon? No, I didn't play that game. And Dennis Wise. And I heard Vinnie Jones had Dennis Wise on his shoulder and Oggy was the captain at the time. Yeah, I didn't play in that game. And they came down the tunnel... And Oggy, Oggy just been voted the ugliest player <laughs> in the ugly 11 by Andy Townsend. And he was the goalkeeper. And Dennis Wise was on Vinnie Jones' shoulder as they're coming down the tunnel. And he pulled a, a paper bag out and put it on a grizz, on Oggy's head. <laughs> Said, don't scare the kids. And by all accounts, he was ready to kill them. But it's the crazy gang, so he couldn't. Yeah, where, where, where? Speaking of scaring kids, Gattuso and Simeone. Um, to, uh, <laughs> that's great. Sorry, mate. Sidetrack. As, as coaches... Ha- Talk about the buy-in you've got to get when you're going to say to your side. I mean, it's a bit different with Simeone, who, who's, that's his game plan. But when you go, guys, this time we're, we're digging in. This is going to be a backs-against-the-wall performance. And if you do this for 90 minutes and work hard, I'm telling you there's going to be a result at the end of it. I think that uh, what happens is results actually get you buy-in as well from players. You know, it, it's important. A, a coach always believes in what he's doing. And, uh, and it's important that you show the players that you believe in what you're doing, that you've got confidence in what you're doing. And, um, and then the results will start to get the buy-in from players. And this is where Gattuso, over the last seven-odd games, has, has had those results. So you can see that the buy-in is there from the players. Now, Diego Simeone, a little bit different because he was a player at Atletico Madrid. They all respected him already because he achieved so much at the club as a player. And then he started to get results straight away as a manager. So, again, he's going to have the buy-in and the players will believe in what he's doing. So, yeah, it, it, sometimes it is hard, but I think your presence at the start is very important. As soon as you walk into the room, you need to make sure that uh, you try and convince, especially the leaders. If you can convince the leaders, most of the time the rest of the team will follow. Two managers, you're not going to say no to neither. I think they've got a bit of authority there, Dave, because if not, they'll knock you out. <laughs> or we'll get someone to knock you out. We'll get somebody. They will know people. <laughs> Did you see the video where a waiter went up to Gattuso in an Italian restaurant with an empty espresso cup and he went to hand it to him and threw it at him? And then Gattuso gets up and he's like, he stares him down. <laughs> you can see the waiter's like, is this going to go the right way or not? Or am I check it out? Who tried, who tried to get him? Who was it? Oh, just a waiter. He played oh, a prank fantastic. on him and he's walked up and tried to douse him in an empty espresso cup. Well, it, Tony Vidmar and Craig Moore, who play with Gattuso at Glasgow Rangers, used to say that um, when you're playing the 5v2, you know, the, the, the piggy in the middle and, and all that, Gattuso was the worst to have because the players would try and take the mickey out of him. And all of a sudden, he's two-footing people. <laughs> because he, In the warm-up. In the Warm up. He doesn't. He doesn't like to lose, and and he's got a, a short fuse. But it's working so far for him at Napoli. Now, speaking of managers needing to stamp their authority, it was a harrowing night for Chelsea going down to Bayern Munich convincingly. Why have you got cold sweats coming from your forehead? <laughs> no, 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 no. Robert Lewandowski's out for the next tie, so you know there's all there's chance. <laughs> no, it was a night where even Frank Lampard said this is the reality. Um, there's been a lot of great discussion about how Bayern Munich have revived under Hansi Flick, but I wonder, sticking with the Premier League theme, if we kick off here, where to now for Chelsea? Where to now for Frank Lampard? Was it a matter of the young kids not being experienced enough, the older guard being past it, just Bayern being too good? What was it? 
I think a little bit of both. I think Bayern were too good. Let, let's uh, not take credit away from the way that they've been performing and the way they performed. Um, Frank Lampard is still learning a lot of European football. He, he's obviously got that experience as a player, but not as a manager. Um, and you have got a few young players in that side that uh, they haven't played Champions League football before. And some of the older players are a little bit, I wouldn't say past it, but what let them down, I think, was their defending. I think they're defending their back three or back five. They got they got stretched quite easy and quite a lot, and the the, the scoreline could have been even more. Mm. I I agree with the system. It worked against Tottenham in the previous game. They went like you know like for like. Mourinho heard a whisper. He went like for like. Tottenham Hotspur sat off and allowed Chelsea to come at them. The dictated play. And I think it was a false sense of security. Yep. You were coming up against a team in Bayern that Flick has got playing outstanding again. They were unbeaten in the group stages, the best plus 15, 19 goal difference, the best that anybody's ever done the Champions League. Bayern Munich love London. They put seven past Tottenham. Gnabry loves London. He was in form again. He, you know, so he got four since in the he, previous game. Since he left London, he loves since London. Since he left <laughs> London, yeah. So he's got a be in his bonnet. He wants to perform there to prove everybody wrong. But what I feel Lampard got wrong in this one, Dave, it, tactics, that's, that's up to him. I'm, I'm not going to discuss Lampard's tactics. I believe he got personnel wrong. The result against Spurs, that would have took a lot of effort to get them back on track. The energy levels are showed. They had a lot of the ball. They got the result. Barkley was non-existent. Mm-hmm. He looked well and truly done. He couldn't track back. He didn't do anything on the ball. Then do you Mount think Barkley's days are numbered at Chelsea. I do. Yeah, I believe he is. Yeah. Come, um, who's the player that just signed? Um, is it Zayak? Yeah. Yes. yes. Hakim Zayak from uh, Zayak. Yeah. I think Barkley's gone. That was a, and that performance justified why he does not belong there now. Um, Mount, you give credit to. He had an effort, but he looked underdone again. James on the right hand side worked up and down effortlessly in the game against Tottenham. Could not could not track runners. And I think Christensen got caught out of position exposed. So I, I put it down to a lot of the players. He put faith back in that team. But you're going up against Bayern Munich who are going to come at you and come at you. And they look, your your team, Chelsea, looks shattered. Mate. And it's easy in hindsight as well because we're sitting here, you know, saying if they did get the result and they did perform well, then he would, you know, he would say that, uh, that he wanted to go with the same 11 against Tottenham because they played with confidence. And But I, I even questioned Giroud. Because Giroud, who played really well against Tottenham, scored. He also came on against Man United and did really well. But he hasn't played all season, and automatic. And now you're actually playing him two games in the space of three, four three days. days. Yeah, can he do that? You know, at his age, is he up to that? Well, level? I think he can if he's had a run of games, yes, five or six. That's what but I mean. That wasn't a game to give him the yeah, opportunity. Yeah, yeah. So this time last week, when we were sitting here and we said you can't play Bashuai, if it's between him and Giroud, you have to play Giroud. Yeah. But there's context, and that's once you've. Busted a car, uh, blown a gasket against Tottenham. Yes. You have got to reassess, yeah. I yeah. suppose. I the, to- the distance covered showed that on the stats. Um, you know, if people are listening, get a chance to have a look at them. Buy, buy and run them off the park mm. as well. Mm. Bruce Barkley, um, you mentioned wasn't the right man for that game. Yeah. Is he a player who is going to become an unfulfilled talent? And there's a Euros coming up where he would like to think this would be his tournament at his age. But where's he at? When you compare, I'm a big fan of Barkley. He's had a lot of negative press. He, he does things. He upset Frank Lampard this, this season when they fell out. Um, I think it was a, a late night or he, some form of illness that he hadn't been. He'd been seen out. That doesn't go down well. Um, you've got to have a look at your lifestyle away from football. Has London kind of grabbed a hold of him? I, I don't know. But I believe that when you've got players like Madison, Grealish in similar positions, Delhi Alley, or he might not be in great form, but I'm taking him over Barkley at this moment in time. He's, you've got to have a look and think, you know, I could have made a real strike to be in the Euros and had a had a go. He needs a fresh start. He needs to go somewhere else uh, and play and play regular, because when he's not and you're a bit part player and you fall out with things that you're doing off the field, it, it's not it's not good. It's only going to affect you going forward. His next two seasons are massive and it'll dictate where he finishes his career. Oh, he's a good yarn. On the flip side, it shows you can redeem yourself. Serge Gnabry, absolutely superb. For buying in this game, and there was also a feel-good story with Alfonso Davies, the 19-year-old Canadian who was outstanding. There was a fabulous little clip where the Bayern fans were cheering him after the game, and he was so shy they didn't want to go and engage with him. And I think it was Lewandowski pushed him back in their direction and said, "Lap this up, son. You've you've deserved it." Um, Unlike John, <laughs> <laughs> shirts off. Oh, penalty again. <laughs> <laughs> Look, uh, Alf- Alfonso, I'm, I'm changing subject <laughs> no, pretty quickly. No, no, let's go, Dave, carry on. <laughs> yeah, Davies was 
unbelievable. His pace was frightening, and and he'd been doing it for now for a, a regular period of time. You know, he, he came on at the beginning of the season, and he was getting you know a few starts, a few appearances coming in off the bench, and then all of a sudden he just starts to play regular football. But I think the wing, you know, playing that fullback position and being able to get forward, he uh, he ended up doing brilliantly. And uh, you know, it'd be interesting to see if uh, you, this is the actual. Um, the scouting system that Bayern Munich do have to get Davies from Canada, Sarpat Singh from New Zealand that played in the A League. What a scouting system that is! Yeah. You know they they they've got money. We know that they've got money, but they they probably don't spend it stupidly like some clubs. And and you know Davies only cost around nine million dollars, and, and and look what he's doing. There's two players that you actually pick out and you see Bayern Munich. They're signing for, and you go, hang on a minute. Well, where have the, where have they seen them? Have they been spotted? You know, this, the scouting things as networks, but they like you say, John must be doing it absolutely spot on. But they're getting players to fit their system as well. Yep. They've got to be runners. Mm, mm. Yeah, anyone. Anyone from your career, because you look at this youngster who's come from nowhere, burst onto the scene, or even someone like Gnabry, who you train with at West Brom, I wonder how many of those West Brom teammates would have tipped him to go on to be almost a first-choice player for Bayern or for or for Germany, so to speak. Are there any any cr- uh, stories from back in your day that, that relate to these two? Oh, you've caught us off guard here. Um, oh, look, uh, a player that you knew that had uh, talent, and did he fulfil his talent... I was uh, lucky enough to actually be with Mark Viduka at the Institute of Sport, and you could tell that he was a talent. You know, back then we actually didn't, we wanted to, and we dreamt about playing Premier League football and playing, you know, at the top level of the Champions League. But we knew that someone like Mark Viduka was going to do that because he was so good at an early age. He was, he, he technical, uh, technical ability was unbelievable for such a big person. He also had those five yards, that uh, acceleration. And so you, you knew at, at the age of 16 that he was going to become a top European striker, top world-class striker. And um, and so he fulfilled his talent. Then there's there's others that you go that, uh, and, and I didn't train with him, I played against him, Ford Lunn, who was, uh, you know, at a big club like Man United, but really struggled. And everyone was questioning, you know, he's not a good striker. He's not a Man United striker. He, he wasn't because he had to move away to show what he could do. Then he went to Spain with Villarreal, with Atletico Madrid, and just did not stop scoring goals. And he did that with Uruguay as well. So another player that needed to move away, like Gnabry, to get the best out of himself. I've had to think about it. <laughs> That's why my, my answer went for a long time. <laughs> it was so time good. I've think. had plenty of time. I've actually come up with 10 because of that answer. <laughs> Mike, Michael Owen. And I remember witnessing at England, we had a cracking crack use team. Uh, Heskey, Lampard, Ferdinand, just dropping names everywhere here. Stephen Gerrard. Did you actually play in that youth thing? Or did you get a look in? Well, this is where I'm going, John, with this. I was me and Emil Heskey, the little and large combination. Absolutely dynamic, mate. It was frightening. <laughs> and we had the quality down the middle. Rio Ferdinand was a centre midfielder at that point. But this little kid came in, looked like he'd just come out in nappies. Michael Owen. You hear things at the youth team about what this kid's been doing at youth level. You see him for the England schoolboys, and you're thinking, he scored a wonder goal against Scotland. And I remember thinking, all oh, right, fair enough. He ain't getting in this team. Me and Heskey are playing. I'm playing fo- first-team football for Sunderland. Heskey's playing first-team football for Leicester City. And Frank and Rio are just on the borderline of reserves at West Ham. And Stephen Gerrard coming through the ranks. And then this kid turns up from Liverpool, Michael Owen, and you see him for one training session on a big pitch. Bearing in mind, five sides, he was terrible. But on a big pitch, the, he just scored goals. He could run, and I, I remember I said to you, how every, quick was he when he was young? He could. He probably beat a speed trap if you try. <laughs> like it, it was lightning, but it was the speed of thought. It wasn't. He was quick. Don't get us wrong, but it was that speed of thought. He anticipated things so well. But what really annoyed us about him was the fact that whether you were playing pool on the away trips, he would win. If you were playing snooker he would win. If you were playing golf, he would win. If we played cards for the travel money that we got, he would win. He was just golden balls. Everything he did, he, he, was, he won it. And it was, you know, he, 
really annoyed us. And I remember saying to Heskey one day, I said, well, one of us is not going to play because he's unbelievable. And Heskey laughed at me and said, well, it ain't going to be you. Sorry, it ain't going to be me. <laughs> and I, I acknowledge that. He he was the one that you thought, yeah, this kid's going to have an unbelievable career. And I still remember that goal against Argentina in the World Cup. It, it was sensational. The speed and the, when he ran at a player, they, they, you just left them standing still. And there was the finish, the calmness of the finish. You know, it, it, it's a pity that he ended up having all those injuries halfway through his career because it, it, it stunted his mm. career. Mm. Well, it was his hamstrings because of his pace. That goal against Argentina for England, there's not many players bypass the under-21s or this, you know, the, the team. He did. He went through the youth level. He's so good. They just went, you know, let's just get him in that first team and play a national team. Unbelievable. He said what? And just to round this all out, it's probably a little bit less relevant after Manchester City's result today, but just interesting what Gary Lineker said on BT Sport yesterday, where he said, 12 months ago at this stage, we're talking about the domination of English football in Europe. All of a sudden, it looks slightly less different. All the teams are under pressure. None of them have scored yet, have they? Just a wonder, is there any common denominator there? Is it just the, the nature of the tyres, or is there something bigger that you see that's worth, worth touching on? I would say that um, I take away Manchester City and Liverpool, who are still very dominant. I still think that they're two of the best sides in Europe and the world. Um, you know, Chelsea had gone through a bit of a transition period because they Frank Lampard's coming in. They weren't able to sign players in the off-season. So you can't put too much criticism on them. Uh, Arsenal have been backwards now for a long period but now you feel with Arteta they're going to start to come through it and 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 who's to say that the Spurs have gone backwards that that's a big thing I think Pochettino the, the whole Pochettino saga uh, has um, set Spurs backwards a few years Bridget don't you think without a shadow of a doubt um I think the chemistry and the dynamics off the park the relationships he had with the players as well um you know, Mourinho came in, it was a fresh face, a fresh start. He was smiley. And I, I questioned, I said, how long is it going to last? Is it going to be the Christmas Grinch? And sure enough, Rose has fallen out of them, the tactics. I believe it set Spurs back a long way. But also, like John was saying there, Chelsea Tottenham, they're in a massive transition. They've got big things. They were there for the taking in this Champions League. Atletico Madrid put an unbelievable defensive performance against Liverpool. Manchester City went and got the result done. These two teams, City scored, thankfully, to make England kind of proud. Liverpool will go through in the next leg. So will Man City. Spurs and um, Chelsea, gone. But then you've got the Europa League. You've got Arsenal that you think they could go all the way. Uh, you've got Man United who are still in a good position and they could go a, a, a fair distance in this uh, tournament. Then you also got Wolves. Mm. You know, let, let's not... Uh, the Premier League's still strong. And, and yeah, some of the bigger clubs have gone through um, a period that they're struggling, but they'll turn it around. Manchester City against Arsenal, the Arteta derby, that's postponed because of the League Cup final this weekend, but it's Tottenham against Wolves on uh, Monday morning, 1am Australian Eastern Daylight Time. That's going to be a... That's a pretty interesting... You could see that being nil all, but you could also see Wolves um, pushing... Mourinho once again, Portuguese Dave, derby. Dave, the last three results, the home team has not won this. All right, so I'm. So you're saying Wolves win? No, Spurs. This is this. It's Spurs home win. They're going to break this trend of the away <laughs> team winning this fixture. That is the only hope I can give. And I, I just feel I'm going to watch it regardless. I, I recommend all the Optus viewers get on <laughs> it and watch it. It could be a very standoffish game. This yeah. could be like a game of chess. You're going to have one team defending the edge of the box, Wolves. Spurs are going to defend the edge of the box. And it's going to be kind of like, who wants the ball, guys? I'm hoping Mourinho listens to his players and they say, let's just go for it. Let's have a crack. Yeah, exactly. I, I just love watching Wolves play, though, because they've got so much pace going forward with uh, Traore. On, uh, out Toure. On, Toure. Toure. You see? <laughs> I, I'm, I'm getting mixed up with his. The, but out on the, the right wing, his pace is frightening. Then you've got Jimenez that's scoring goals, and you've got Jota that's scoring goals. And Neves. And Neves that, that, that's scoring bombs from outside the box. And you go, they've got so much quality. And you could actually see them really challenging for Champions League. John, we've got Harry Kitt. Oh, no, he's injured. We've got Son. Oh, no, he's injured. Um, <laughs> hey, stop right, making... You, Jose Bridges, stop making excuses. <laughs> <laughs> I've learned from the best. <laughs> Very good. So that's the climax of the Premier League weekend, which kicks off on Saturday morning with Norwich against Leicester City. We've got Aston Villa against Sheffield United. Oh, no, that's also postponed because of the League Cup final. Brighton against Crystal Palace. Bournemouth against Chelsea on Sunday morning as well. Newcastle against Burnley. West Ham against Southampton. Watford against Liverpool is your breakfast. Well, if you have an early breakfast, 4.30am Sunday morning. And then Everton against Manchester United on Monday morning as well. It is a big week for football across Europe. Monday morning is El Clasico. 
Barcelona go to Real Madrid. I know we've spoken at length about both clubs, but we're going to have a quick chat about the consequences of this game here. But before we do, John, what is it like walking out through the tunnel at that Santiago Bernabeu Stadium? We saw it this morning. We're going to see it on Monday. It just looks amazing. Yeah, well, the atmosphere probably wasn't the same when Osasuna are walking out or Alaves are walking out <laughs> at the Bernabeu. But the stadium itself, even when it's empty, and, and we used to get there an hour and a half and an hour 45 before the game, and, and just the stands, they're so steep. If you're on top of those stands, it feels like you're going to fall onto the pitch, not down the stairs, you're going to fall onto the pitch. It's that steep. and um, it, That's where John was for the game, you see, <laughs> up at the stands. <laughs> no, I was there watching Barcelona, Real Madrid, one, uh, Real Madrid Barcelona one year. Yeah. I was never up in the stands, Bridgie. <laughs> Thought I'd get that one and just make it 1-1. One, one. But um, yeah, I- I- incredible stadium that's got a lot of history, of course. Um, but this game, it, what it means, it, 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 there's so much history behind these two teams. They're fighting for the title again, which actually happens nearly every season. We know that. You know, throw an Atletico Madrid in there or a Valencia one year or a Deportivo La Coruña uh, going back years but normally Barcelona and Real Madrid are going for the title and uh, and then you've got the the, the added Catalonia against uh, Madrid which is very Spanish and, and you've got the, the politics involved and then you've got Messi who's the world's best player and then you've got Zidane that's under pressure now with the the results the recent results it just throws up so many stories and and doesn't the press over in Spain love that is it a title decider or are they so inconsistent that this is actually, it's more really important right now for the future of Zidane, but there's so many twists and turns left in this season? Oh, is it is it a title? I don't think it's a title contender because of the inconsistency, but I think it's a, it's a huge one for Zidane because that lose this one, three losses in a row. It, I'm not saying his days are numbered, but that, is, that doesn't go down well in Madrid. And I've, I, John's experienced it. I've never experienced what it means, but I know the magnitude of what that <laughs> incorporates. Yeah, they'll be going bonkers today. Marker, AS. They'll be, the, the, it'll be the postmortems of they'll be doing postmortems of the postmortems. You wouldn't be buying any buying any papers if you were Zidane tomorrow morning. No, well, the, the, no papers. Don't listen to actually anything that's going on because it's, there's always someone talking about it. it, it, it you listen to this. Yeah, probably. Yeah, you'd have to listen to the podcast, but I don't think Zidane's listening to the Gagan Pod, <laughs> unless he's got wind that we're talking him up. Then he might listen to it. <laughs> Great but man. Um, Great he, he's he's at look. He knows how to deal with it because he dealt with it as a player. You know, he he remembers actually getting whistled at Real Madrid when he wasn't playing well and the white handkerchiefs is coming out. So he knows that that's that's part of the football club. He knows how to deal with that. He knows how to deal with a president that is. Is a little bit crazy mm. at times and, and expects a lot. And yep. we discussed that on the show today, saying as a manager, tactically, to forget what he can't do with Pep Guardiola. The stuff he has to handle being the manager of this football club, a lot of managers would not be able to deal with that. And that's why I respect him so much. I remember chatting to Gus Hiddink about Real Madrid because he was there for a short period. He wasn't there for a long period because he didn't want to play the chairman's son. <laughs> Sons, his name was. Anyway, um, he ended up, uh, it was very interesting because he said that he never used to really read the press or, or, or listen to what was happening, but um, you'd have someone that would come in every morning and throw a piece of paper on his table and go, these players were out last night. And Gus Hiddink would be like, I don't want to know that. As long as they perform for me, I'm happy. If, if they want to do this stuff in their life outside of football it's okay for me because they will if they perform if they stop performing then I'll leave them out but um, that's that, that's the way it's like Not at that good. football club they, they they just there's scrutiny on every little thing and and every single player and every single person within that football club it's a good job I never played there I'd be on his desk every morning <laughs> I think Woody was <laughs> oh, Woody would have been <laughs> it could be like Paris Saint-Germain where they throw birthday parties two days after a loss in the uh, in the Champions League and Cavani Di Maria and Icardi are out there and it's all over Instagram so it could be a bit like that um, also Monday morning as we speak. We still have Inter Milan versus Juventus. Like just the most incredible uh, aligning of the stars to have these games at the same time. Of course, it could be behind closed doors because of the coronavirus, and there are a lot of games in Italy's north that are actually being postponed and cancelled or played behind closed doors. Let's assume this will go ahead. We've spoken about Juventus a lot today, but Inter Milan are still breathing down their neck. This is also a game of monumental proportions. Yeah, and it's the Italian derby. 
That's what they call it. it, it it's like a classical, you know, the Inter Milan and Juventus supporters don't like each other. There, there's there's that rivalry of uh, who's the most successful club. You can throw AC Milan in there, but there's there's more of a healthier rivalry between AC Milan and Juventus than Inter and Juventus. And to have that behind closed doors, it's unfortunate. I know that the, the coronavirus in, in, in Italy, they're, they're, they're trying to look after the you know, the, the population there and, and, and stop the spread of the virus. But, um, you know, the, the atmosphere is something that, you you know, you love watching, you love seeing. You know, we're talking about Real Madrid this morning and the atmosphere that that game, playing behind closed doors, such a big game, an important game. It's going to be hard to watch. Who Who's going to win, John? Who do you, who you fancy? Inter. Inter, yeah? Yes, I, I fancy Inter. I, I think that's... If they a, lose, do they lose the title? I think then the gap will be too big. Yeah. Uh, the gap will be way too big because Juventus don't drop too many points against the lower side. So then, you know, you start to think that Inter then to, to make up that gap, I think then Lazio might have a chance of actually catching Juventus, but I don't think Inter will. Now, Inter have a less recovery time as well, don't they, going into that one? Yeah, off they play Ludogorets Friday morning, Australian Eastern Daylight Time, yeah. also behind closed doors. They play a huge part. They have a game in hand, so obviously they've had, they've already had a cancer uh, postponed game. But their Juventus are on sixty points, Lazio are on fifty uh, fifty nine points, Inter Milan are on fifty four points. Conte has done a phenomenal job. Has he got? Is it one season too early, or can, or can he can he mow them down? Oh, he still can catch them. I, I, I think that um, in terms of like if they, you know, we're, we're saying if they don't lose against Juventus, but um, we know that Conte is going to bring uh, titles to Inter Milan. It's just uh, how quick can he do it? And he's already turned that team and that club around in a short space of time. You look at the way they're playing and and, and the results they're getting. So I actually think that the, he's done a tremendous job. I saw a huge moment. It was when they were playing AC Milan in the derby. The way the players galvanised, the way they celebrated, the staff were involved. That was, that, that's a huge win regardless. But again, you just have a look at the characteristics and things that are going on inside that. The players he's brought in, he, he seems to have gelled them instantly. Mm. So that's that's massive um, in going forward for this game. And a tough taskmaster. Ericsson scored his first goal for the club in the Europa League. and and, riddance. <laughs> and his comment afterwards was, I know he can do a lot more. He's not at the level he used to be, so he keeps them on their toes. He's a he's a tough taskmaster, and it's a compelling, compelling serious I, season. I, I read something that, um, that one of the Juventus players did say about um, Conte. He goes that he can actually cut you with his tongue. His <sighs> his words are, are that brutal sometimes. If and and you know some players can handle it, and, and you actually get the best out of them, like Lukaku. Because I remember early on, he, he actually said to Lukaku, you're not doing well enough. You're not working hard enough for the team. You're not actually bringing what we brought you here for. And then Lukaku has gone away and, and looked at himself and, and looked the result of what he's doing with Lukaku. Now he's looking like a, the old Lukaku, scoring those goals, bringing players into play, using his strength. And Conte, is, he's, he's, uh, he's good at doing that and getting the best out of those individuals. And I think he'll get the best out of Ericsson as well. Mm, it's fascinating stuff. It's been brilliant. Every Monday morning, those big games I have from Syria have been compelling, probably well, most of the season actually. has been absolutely brilliant stuff. Gents, thank you so much for your time this morning. John, Bridgie, Michael. Thank you very much. I'm <laughs> looking forward um, to finishing off the rest of my um, scrambled egg. It's very cold, but again, it's been an absolute pleasure. Love the gig and pod. John, been great work with you last couple of days, mate. And uh, um, Thanks, Bridgie. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, it took a while for me to get that out. <laughs> it's because uh, we're tired, mate. That, that, I think that's the end. Hey, you are seeing each other again soon. It's, yeah, it's, not, it's not the end, right? We're it's seeing each end. other Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Are you back for scores? Yeah, yeah. Back Love for it. scores on Sunday. Well, that was a very emotional ending for something. You, you get me back in a couple of days. So we look forward to seeing that one. To everyone out there, until the next Gagnapod, you've got Europa League, you've got Premier League, you've got so much to enjoy. So as ever, enjoy your football.